Welcome to the Parent Points Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Cabot. The mission of this podcast is to help you, the parent, realize and accomplish this truth. You are the primary disciple maker of your child. I truly believe that this podcast only helps one parent grasp this and apply it to their home. It is 100% worth it. For this episode, uh, it's hard for me to sum up the topic into some cool little catchphrase like I try to do for you listeners every week. Um, But what I do believe is that this episode is going to be full of eye-opening truth uh, when it comes to you, the parent, discipling your sixth through 12th grader. Now, before we jump into these, what he calls 10 predictors, uh, I want to introduce our guest. Um, He's been in student ministry for 10, 15 plus years. Uh, in the local church, just doing student ministry. Uh, he's currently the director of student ministry for Lifeway Christian Resources. Uh, when I first met him, uh, he was a middle school small group leader on a volunteer basis, and I was the associate middle school minister. Talk about intimidating, because uh, yeah, I remember speaking and being like, "Oh no, this isn't good." Um, and, uh, as we as we kind of grew closer together and hung out. I remember taking him to Crackle Barrel for the first time, just asking him questions as a volunteer. Uh, I've just become really to respect him in a a more uh, deeper way than I thought I could. And so I was super thankful for him. Uh, He's a fellow podcaster. He's a gamer, uh, which is something I did not know until I got to know him in a deeper way. Loves baseball, loves the Cardinals, CrossFitter. And I think he's now a runner. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but our guest is Ben Trueblood. Ben, how are you today? I'm good, man. Super excited to do this with you. Uh, always good to hang out. So looking forward to it. So are you a runner? Is that a thing now? Yeah. So when COVID hit, like gyms all closed, right? Uh, like way back when COVID started. Uh, and so I couldn't go to the gym anymore. I was able to get some workout equipment for the garage. And so I kept doing some of that. But at that time, it just made the most of the weather was right. It just made the most sense to start running. I used to run like 2009, 10, 11, ran a little bit more. Uh, and so just picked it up again and man, have kind of really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't have any reason to like sign up for a marathon or anything like that. Right now, it is just go out, run, give myself a mind break, some space to be outside and and it's serving its purpose. So thankful for it. That's good, man. I just, you know, I don't ever get into running. Like I will do it, but I just, I literally, there's something I just can't, I just can't, I literally hate it. And it's a problem. I probably should do it more, but man, I did for a little while. Uh, and I thought I was going to hate it again this last time I started up, but it, it, uh, it didn't, it didn't end up that way. So I'll listen to podcasts and I'll listen to audio books while I run. And that makes it uh, a little bit, a little bit better. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, Ben, what we're going to do uh, in this episode, we, you wrote, you wrote a book and I know you'll say this probably as we talk, but uh, with your team at Lifeway, uh, but it's called Within Reach. And, uh, you know, I, I'll lo- we'll talk about kind of the, the reason behind you writing it, but as reading it as a student pastor, right, you see these 10 predictors of students falling out of the local church after, um, after high school. Um, and as I was reading it this time again, I really thought through it and through this podcast, I was like, man, these parents need to hear these because whether they're, you know, 
mom or dad, they kind of play a role in all 10 of these things, whether it's reading their, the student's Bible at the home, all of this kind of stuff. So I want us to talk through that. Um, and we're going to go through those five, the first five, and then we're going to have a second episode where we go through the next five. Uh, but I kind of, that's where I want us to start. Would you just kind of share a little bit about what caused you to write this book uh, and kind of what the passion behind it and why you decided to kind of get into this research for these things? Yeah. So uh, it, we actually, this was a research study that was done uh, over a decade ago, um, was the original research study. Uh, and it became known as the dropout study. And it measured um, teenagers who were active in the local church during their high school years, if they stayed or dropped out of the church during college. And so that was done, like I said, over a decade ago. And so what we wanted to do is come back and do a fresh research study on the same thing so that we can kind of give a 10 year uh, comparison with this is what the number was then and do the research brand new. And this is what the number is now. So that's kind of what started us down the road of the research. Now, uh, to compare research to research, there were several factors that we had to keep in place, like exactly the same in terms of the question that we ask and things like that, uh, so that we can have compare apples to apples, so to speak, Um, which I never understood why people, I mean, there are a lot of different kinds of apples, but we can get into that at another point. But Basically, that's where it started. And then we measured some additional things. Like one of the things we looked at in this research round was student pastors themselves and practices within the student ministry. Uh, We didn't want to uh, dirty up the data in comparing the main statistic of 10 years ago, how many people left the church after high school. And at this time, how many people left the church after high school? But we did want to get an idea of student ministry practices that could uh, contribute to either way, right? Uh, And some of the practices that take place in the home that could contribute either way to either a student staying connected to the church long term or walking away. Mm, Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, And so, you know, Ben, you know, we've served together and, you know, Currently, I'm in a in a role at a, at a student at a, at a church as a student pastor. And one thing with the very beginning of the the kind of the transition here is I was be able to meet with some parents, uh, and really, you know, we're, I'm stating the phrase, you know, if your student comes through our student ministry sixth through twelfth grade, and they leave and either they stay local here in Charleston or they go off somewhere to go to college, and they don't have a desire to be a part of a local church, then we've kind of failed the student and really that family. Now the word fail, it's a big word. You know, did we really fail them in regards to teaching in the Bible and stuff like that? I, I don't know, but it, you know, they're only in the student ministry sixth through 12th grade. Right. But they're going to be in as an adult connected to the local church, hopefully for many more years than that. And so I do think we failed them. And I remember having parents thinking, well, well, you do so much good things with them, whether at the church and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's true. But again, like if they don't desire to be a part of the bride of Christ after student ministry, then there was a disconnect the whole time that they were there. And so when I read these predictors, I kind of my eyes are open to say, man, as a student pastor, there's a lot that we can do and take into account. But even in the home, as you said, the parents can really help with some of these predictors as we go through them. So what we're going to do, Ben, is I just want to read these read these out and kind of just 
let you speak on them as you will. Uh, and then we'll have a couple of questions inside there. So uh, predictor number one uh, is adults investing in the student between ages 15 and 18. Ben, what would you say? Well, first, why, it, why is it that age range, 15 to 18? Uh, and then would you say that that is going to shift as time progresses younger and younger, or you think the 15 to 18 range is going to be pretty set? Yeah, so it's a good question. And the main reason why we state 15 to 18 there uh, is just to match up with the research that was done previously that I mentioned earlier. So there's with that part of it, there's not like a magic age number there. Uh, that's just the age group that we were specifically measuring in order to compare research to research. Uh, but this predictor actually is so fascinating to me. Um, it was that it's the number one predictor of teenagers staying connected to the church long-term. Um, and it is, we found that when a, a high school student had three or more people that they could identify as spiritual mentors in their life during their high school years, they're actually three times more likely to stay connected to the church in their college years. A couple of quick things. I may, I say college years because, you know, they might go into the military, they might go into the workforce, they might go into college, uh, somewhere else. But the data that we found is pretty much the same across the board. That re- It's not a university problem. It's a age gap problem. And uh, the, the number is 66%. So 10 years ago, the number was 70%. Now it's 66% of teenagers leave the church after high school when they're active in the church during, uh, during their high school years, um, which is staggering. Uh, but it points to this in adult investment, one that you just mentioned, when a high school student could identify three or more spiritual mentors in their life uh, from the church, then they're three times more likely to stay connected to the church after they graduate. Now, for younger than 15, we have such an opportunity to stack the deck, so to speak, to what if as a middle school student, they begin to build this community of spiritual mentors that goes beyond three, four, five over the course of their time in student ministry. Um, Those are people that can really tip the scales on uh, people staying connected to the church and discipleship in general. Right. And I mean, I think that goes back, you know, to the parents, like that's, a big reason why, you know, bringing your student to a student ministry consistently is a big deal, right? Like, for instance, here, we do small groups on Wednesday nights, right? Would you consider a small group leader for a parent listening? Would you consider a small group leader that, you know, with job and air quotes, like they're doing their yeah. job well, would you consider them one of those spiritual adults investing in the student's life? Absolutely. Uh, it, it can be a small group leader, um, it could be a uh, camp counselor uh, at summer camp that, you know, you take somebody from your church and they're in that small group. And uh, it could be a disciple now uh, or retreat, like host home, if you're familiar with disciple now kind of language. I don't know if you do, uh, if you're going to do one of those in Charleston, but um, a host home or something like that, or uh, the youth pastor themselves or a staff member at the church it could be any of those things. But uh, yeah, personal investment, spiritual mentor. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, so that's that's the number one predictor, you know, adults investing in them between the ages of 15 and 18. You know, you said that stat, you know, was it three or more adults? They're three times more likely to stay. Yeah, that's right. Wow. That's that's I mean, that's staggering to think about, you know, 
if you're a parent of a middle schooler now to think through, man, if I could stack the deck there, you know, the likelihood of this being sticking with them after high school is a big deal. Yeah. Um, so the, man, the interesting thing too, is like, so I do all this research for student ministry stuff and I've been around it a long time. And at the same time, like I'm also part of your audience for this podcast. Like I, I have a ninth grader at the time of the recording of this, I have a ninth grader and a seventh grader. So for me as a parent, uh, I want to pour in personally, but I also want them to be involved in church and for people to pour into them there too. And then if we could even be saying the same things, then that's like double bonus, right? Like if we're, we're both headed in the same direction and knowing your heart to partner with families, that's something that can absolutely happen is that as you lead the families there in Charleston, and as you do this podcast, that like you guys are saying the same thing and pointing students towards the right direction. So uh, yeah, as a parent also, I want to have my kids in church so that they hear from as many voices and opportunities to develop spiritual mentors as I can. Mm, That's good. That's good. Number two, predictor number two, regularly reading the Bible privately prior to the age of 18. Now I'll just be transparent, but I read this one. It kind of seems like, how do you measure that as a research person? Like, how are you figuring that stuff out? So would you speak to that part a little bit? And then maybe even just, you know, let us see kind of into your family. I mean, how do you kind of shape that to your kids? Um, the importance of that before the age. Yeah. of So from a research standpoint, uh, this is just like a check the boxes that would describe your spiritual activity. So regularly read the Bible uh, prior to age 18. And so then they would mark yes. And then there's a frequency of, you know, X amount of days, X amount of day. And then they check all that apply kind of thing. And then that's sent through the, the measuring tool for, for the research. So on the research side of it, uh, they're just responding as young adults, looking back and reflecting on these are the practices that I had in my life from a spiritual standpoint as a high school student. Um, from the practical application side, uh, man, a super valuable tool that our church here does is a Bible reading plan. And so that is, there's that for teenagers as well as adults. And it's easy to stay on the same page, so to speak, and to have a reading plan that is shared between like the one I get is the same base. It's the same passages designed a little different, whatever, but same passages that my kids could be reading that as, as I'm reading. So it gives the foundation for us to be able to have uh, conversations about it. And look, like, I'm not going to sit here and say like every night before bed, we sit down and I ask them about their daily Bible. That's not the way it is at all. You don't do but that? It does. <laughs> I don't actually, <laughs> maybe, maybe I should, uh, but it does give uh, opportunities along the way, just as we live life, like I'm taking you to drop you off at dance practice or whatever. And for me to ask questions about what's, what's going on. Well, cause one of the things that we did find out too, from this study, uh, is that 70% of these people that we, that we researched said that they didn't have any kind of spiritual conversation in the home. And I think that's such a key factor because I think what teenagers are looking for is not this organized time where we sit down and talk about God, right? but for it to just be as life happens, Mm. 
we talk about the Lord. And as life happens, we take, we take advantage of two and three minute conversations to talk about the Lord rather than trying to organize a home worship service once a week. Now, if you want to do that, by all means. But I think the consistency of having ongoing spiritual conversation just as you have time. Now, it takes intentionality on the parent side to notice those moments and jump on them. So it, that's, that's our mindset has to be there. But I think that's more for me. I think that's more valuable than scheduling this God time every week and then not talking about it outside of that time. Right. And do you think that, let me ask you this question, Ben, in, in that thought, do you think that's why some parents don't disciple their kids well is because they think it has to be this boxed in time where they have to, you know, play the guitar or everybody sitting <laughs> at the table, not on their phone or whatever. And if they can't do that, then they're not going to do it at all. I mean, do you feel, do you think that that is a contributor to why parents are hesitant to disciple their kids? Cause I think that everyday life piece and discipling a middle schooler through high school is super key. Yeah, I do think that's part of it. I think we make it more complicated than it has to be a lot of times, or we incorrectly assume that our kids are expecting a certain level of thing from us mm. when all they just want is realness mm. from us. I think another reason why parents are, are hesitant to do this, and I would say this of, of my own life, and man, I've been involved in student ministry for over 20 years. It's way different to pastor a teenager than it is to parent one. And I'm learning that along the way. Mm. And I would say, man, p- parents are just intimidated by the idea of discipling a kid. Maybe they've never been discipled themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe no one ever showed them how to have a, a, a daily intake of reading the Bible privately or how to talk about that with someone else. Like all of those things are learned skills. Mm-hmm. And so if there's a parent listening to this and they're like, man, I'm just intimidated by it. Look, my kid sees me when I lose my temper. My kid sees me when I have an argument with somebody. My kid sees me at, at my worst. And then I'm supposed to sit down with them and say, hey, let me teach you about Jesus. Like that's a super intimidating environment. And I think that's when we just need to embrace the realness of it and and be willing to say like, yeah, you saw me lose my temper over here and I apologize for that. It shouldn't have happened. And let's talk about, like, let's talk about that. Let's just be vulnerable together at an appropriate level. And let me walk you through like what happened and how Jesus intersects with that. And like, that's a lot easier to say than do, but I I think the intimidation factor is high with parents because either they've, it's never been done for them. There wasn't a model for them and how to do it or because of some of the vulnerability stuff that exists. Mm, That's good. Yeah. I think that is a very key piece of a parent to, to let Jesus intersect and let grace intersect life where Mm -hmm. we, we drop the ball right? Like we mess up all of the time and to not just shove it under the rug, but to address it and to parent through that. So that's good. Uh, Predictor number three, wanting the church to help guide their decisions in everyday life. Now, if you're a parent listening to this, you're thinking, man, I can't get myself to be uh, a help and a guide in the decisions of my kids. How in the world can I help the church be at that place in a student's heart? Ben, could you just share just a little bit about that, uh, that predictor and why? I mean, that's pretty high. Number three, that's the, that's the third highest one. 
So what goes into that one? Man, honestly, that is just, I think a wake up call for people into saying like these teenagers really do want the church to help them think through the decisions of life. Um, they don't want them to make them for them, but they do want them to, to think through them. And, and here's what is, I think, underneath that response. I want to see that what the church is saying actually matters for my everyday life. Like that's the underlying thing for me is right. it it's, does this, does this Bible that we keep talking about really have something to say for my everyday? And of course we would say, yes, it does. But is the church embracing, uh, embracing that and, and helping them, helping teenagers connect everyday life to the truth of God's word? Mm, that's so good. And do you think that students, where, well, let me ask you this question. Where does the church fit into, you know, say a student comes to church and they're really seeing that the Bible does impact their everyday, but when the student doesn't maybe listen to the Bible, right, or listen to the Holy Spirit's direction and the church maybe gets a little judgy or doesn't get a little judgy or whatever that tension is there. Does that play into that? It totally does. So we'll get to one in just a minute that talks about kind of that, that judginess of uh, church members disapproving or or having expectations on, uh, on teenagers can be something that actually drives them away Mm. from the church. So um, there is this tension between, Teenagers saying, I want to, I want you to show me how the Bible intersects with daily life. Uh, but then re- realizing that they're still going to make their own decisions. Like a teenager is still going to make, they're going to make a decision in the moment. And how are we as the church going to respond to that? Uh, and I think it needs to be a response that both says, okay, like this is what God's word says. And this is what happened. And these, ha- this is how these things don't match up but we're also going to love you and help you move towards Jesus and help you get to the place where we make a different decision next time around. Right. Right. That's good. Okay. Number four, uh, agreeing with their church's political perspective. Now this is, uh, (laughs) I wonder if this is like number one or two. Now, if you were to go back and do it just in the political climate that we're in and what went down, um, man, if you will just, can you share and maybe even throw in some current stuff that you see maybe playing out in the student ministry context in which you, what you are a part of, as well as what you're seeing from the Lifeway perspective, just in this very politically hot climate that we're in right now? Yeah. So this research came out uh, in January of 2019. So it was kind of that uh, middle of our last presidential run. So some of it would have been uh, impacted in the data here, certainly not as contentious as it has been uh, towards the end of 2020. But here's the point here. And man, I wish it wasn't on here, but for statistical integrity, it came in at number four. And so we have to talk about it. We have to, we have to put it out there. And here's how I explain it to people. Uh, teenagers at, at are in this moment in their life, this age range, they're developing their worldview and they're developing their worldview based on the messages that they hear all around them at church, at school, in the home, in the neighborhood, 
uh, on the team that they're on, like everywhere in media, everywhere that they go, they're hearing a message and they're taking that message and they're filtering it in and they're choosing to form their worldview based on either rejecting or accepting some combination of those messages that are flooding in. And with this one, if the worldview that they're forming goes against the political view that the church is putting out, then it's going to have an adverse effect on them staying connected to the church long-term because they're saying, okay, this group of people, this church who is teaching me uh, that the Bible applies to everyday life is also going a very different direction from what I believe about life. And that's where it causes a problem. So uh, my opinion here is that we just, we not talk about politics. Now, let me be really, really clear. Um, we have to train Christians to be politically involved and Christians to live Christianly in the public square. So I'm not saying that we avoid politics altogether. What I'm saying is we as the church don't need to uh, rally behind a party or a person, mm. but instead we need to teach how to think biblically about issues that exist in our world. So how do we think biblically about race? How do we think biblically about things like abortion? How do we think biblically uh, even about things like economics and finances? Like, because here's the reality, we're going to have students from our churches graduate, and some of them are going to be involved in public square life. Some of them are going are to be involved in economics. And some of them are going to be involved in the military. And some are going to be involved as, as a mechanic. And some of them are going to be involved as lawyers and doctors and dentists and teachers and whatever. Band and does They're going to be involved in everything. So we have to teach them to think biblically more than thinking politically. Mm -hmm. And I think in some instances in recent days, uh, I think we've, we've started to see teaching people to think politically, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it sends them the other direction because they don't want, they don't want that. They get enough of that. Of, we, we have the ability to teach them something that nobody else can. And that's how to think biblically with the truth of God's word as a, as a worldview lens. Right. Now, does that go back up to number three, you know, where it's, you know, they want to see the church help guide their decisions in everyday life. Like, does it, it kind of goes hand in hand, right? Like what you're saying is, is that the church should, teach them these things, how to think biblically on these things. And the student's going to have to make that decision on their own. Right. I mean, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, number five. Now this is for uh, the number five, the fifth predictor, youth leader, genuinely caring about the student. Now, uh, Ben, we've served together and you know that I am a task over person all day long. <laughs> that I've struggled with all the time and parents that are listening uh, at our church probably have seen that side of me. And some of them I'm trying to grow and be, be really more people focused than uh, task focused. However, this predictor really speaks totally against that, right? That if there's a student pastor that is more, you know, involved and engaged in programming over a student and engaging them genuinely, like this is kind of a wake up call. Now, from a parent's perspective, how does this fit into, you know, discipling them? Like, is it, should it 
kind of go into the thought process of them selecting a church and a youth group for their student, that they, there seems to be a student pastor that really cares about what's going on. And it is not some celebrity student pastor or not some student pastor that's just there to get a paycheck. I mean, is, does it go that far? Yeah, I, I think it's something to consider for sure that there is somebody who cares about them genuinely as a part of their youth ministry experience. Uh, I think the other thing for for a parent to remember too is that uh, the student pastor is not going to be able to adequately and genuinely care for everyone at the same level. It's not because they don't love your kid. It's it's just because there's only one of them, and there are a lot of kids. And so, I think a key thing to look for if I'm looking for a student ministry to involve my kids in is yes, does the youth pastor care? But also, what are the other leaders they're bringing along in order to help with this care thing? Because like if, if, the, if my kid doesn't have a direct relationship with the youth pastor, that's okay as long as they have a small group leader that genuinely cares about them and is pouring into them from a spiritual mentoring perspective. Because remember, that magic number is three or more spiritual mentors. And the student pastor can't be that for everyone. Now, they're going to be that for some. And for me as a parent, I really have to check my, well, why are they playing favorites? Uh, The reality is they're not. They just are connecting with the people that they can connect with. But I think a key question is, is that student pastor also bringing other leaders onto the team that can care for more people than they can alone? And, and I think that is the mark of a really effective student ministry over the long term. Right. Are they bringing leaders that they're developing that can also be spiritual mentors for the ministry as a whole? Because the reality is, and you know this as a student pastor, you're going to personally impact a handful of kids. Right. But the people that you recruit will impact multiplied by a factor more than you will because there's more of them. Uh, And that's that's a sign of health in a student ministry to me. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Ben, unfortunately, uh, we got to five, but this that's kind of all the time that we have for this this episode. Uh, Make sure that you, you know, rate this, like it, share it, do whatever you do. Uh, but we want you to get this out to the parents of, of our, our student of our student ministry, as well as those that you know that might not be engaged in a student ministry. These are great predictors for students that are not even plugged into a youth ministry. For parents that can listen through this uh, and really, truly, you know, kind of think through why it's important to get engaged in a local church. So make sure you do that. However, parents go and parent like you never have before, and we'll talk to you next time.